Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Mishkin Law in Chicago. I'm joined today by Jim Marty of Bridge West. Jim is in Colorado. Rob Hunt of Linnae Holdings. Rob is in New York and will be speaking with us. Uh, we have a wonderful guest with us today, Jordan Wellington of the Vincente Cedarberg Law Firm, who's going to talk with us quite a bit about government policy and what's going on in the marijuana world. And we're going to have an in-depth discussion of the Grateful Dead, Allman Brothers Band, Summer Jam, big, huge, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how else to describe it, uh, in Watkins Glen in 1973 with about 600,000 people for a great day of music at Summer Jam. And we're going to dive into that. We're going to get a review from uh, our guest today uh, about the Billy and the Kids show and their recent performance. And uh, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got a great show lined up. Jim, how are you doing today? Very good. I'm actually in Minnesota today, uh, visiting my par parent company, going over some of uh, our books and records and how we're doing financially. So uh, it's been a good quarter for Bridge West. A lot of work for us. Excellent. Excellent. Rob, how are you? I'm fantastic. Had an epic day of fishing yesterday. Um, caught all sorts of bluefish, and my five-year-old son pulled in his first 15-pound blue, uh, aided, of course, with the assistance of some other people. But check my Facebook page for, uh, for, for visual evidence, but just uh, still, still high from the, uh, the experience of last night. Wonderful. Very, very exciting stuff. That's always fun. A little uh, father-son togetherness, whether it's on a fishing boat or a dead show or wherever we might find it. Um, Quick news on my end, uh, out of uh, basically a bolt of lightning out of the sky last week on uh, Thursday, Illinois uh, all of a sudden announced licenses. So we got licenses awarded for cultivation, processing, and transportation. Uh, a few of my clients were lucky enough to grab some of those licenses, so we're very, very excited about that. Uh, there's a huge, gigantic, very hard to explain and even harder to understand plan for more licenses to be awarded with maybe, but maybe not more applications. Uh, the dispensary licenses haven't come yet, but we're being told it's just a matter of time, hopefully the end of this month. Uh, but after all this time, there was some movement finally. And so uh, at least uh, I guess Illinois deserves a little bit of credit for that in moving things forward. So very, very nice about that. Um, Rob, would you like to introduce our guest today? I would love to. Uh, so Jordan Wellington is our guest today, and he is a good buddy of mine that I don't see nearly as often as I'd like to, and honestly, don't speak to nearly as often as I'd like to. But uh, as far as Grateful Dead fans slash cannabis policy and uh, legislative guys that I can sit there and have conversations with on like a thousand different levels on a ton of different topics that I care about, uh, very few people in the world that I'd rather be speaking to than Jordan. So Jordan, welcome to the show. Uh, love to talk to you about all the work you've done at VS Strategies. Uh, I know Jim's got some questions for you as well, kind of about background, but welcome to uh, the Deadhead Canvas show, and uh, please introduce yourself. Uh, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm super pumped and excited to be on the show. I think as soon as I, I saw that this was a thing, I, I sent Rob a message and was like, I have to do this. Um, uh, I, I host my own podcast called The Weed Wonks and love uh, talking about cannabis policy with people all the time and uh, also love the Grateful Dead and all of their their music and, and the stuff that's been created from them and where they came from and, and the live music scene here in Colorado. And I think it's just it's awesome to have a forum where we can kind of get together and talk about this stuff because uh, the intersection of the cannabis industry and people who love the Grateful Dead is just one of kind of the most amazing parts of, of my job and getting to work in this industry because I I seem to have a very high percentage of people I have at least one band I like in common with, 
uh, that also work in cannabis. And it, it always becomes a nexus point for us to build relationships. And, uh, you know, that's why it's fun to build this industry together is because you get to do it with fun people. Well, well very good, Jordan. Um, yeah, as we get into the topics for today, uh, let's start out by giving us a little background about yourself. Uh, where'd you go to law school? Where'd you start out your career? How, how did you get into cannabis? How'd you get with Vicente Cedarberg? Uh, yeah, well, those are th those are a bunch of different questions. So I gotta, I'll try to do the, the moderately express version, uh, but the fun version nonetheless. So uh, I, I'm a Jersey boy, born and bred, um, went to Brooklyn Law School, uh, University of Maryland at undergrad, um, uh, I guess, started really going to uh, see a lot of live music back in the day at PNC Bank Art Center and Irving Plaza and all the kind of New York scene. Um, uh, and then I would say uh, in 2012, so I'd been out of law school for a few years, I was working at the Colorado State Legislature, or I'm sorry, the New Jersey State Legislature as a bill drafter. Um, my wife and I had just gotten married. Um, I had come out to Colorado uh, to visit my stepbrother, Josh, Pollock, uh, who owns Rosenberg's Bagels and Delicatessen and many other fine restaurants here in the Denver, Colorado area. Uh, always got to work your family plugs. Let's just stop for a second and plug that one one more time. The name of his restaurant one more time for all those? Yeah, the, re the name of the restaurant group is Bridge and Tunnel Restaurant Group. For those of us who know what the New York people call the New Jersey people, that's what they call us. So uh, he owns uh, three bagel places, a pizza place, an Italian deli, and an ice cream shop here, uh, mostly in the Denver metro area, although one is now up in Boulder. And he makes the uh, only legitimate bagels uh, I've ever had outside of the New York area, uh, as well as uh, the creator and uh, the creator, uh, sadly not the purveyor, but the creator of what we believe to be the world's first ever marijuana infused smoked salmon. Um, in fact, if you Google marijuana infused smoked salmon, uh, my stepbrother comes up, which is one of his many great claims to fame. Uh, so he lived out here uh, before I did, and we came to visit him. And, and basically, my wife and I just quit our jobs in July of 2012 and uh, ran and ran away and moved to Colorado. Uh, moved to uh, Denver and uh, started working in the Colorado House Majority Office, uh, basically as a glorified intern that session. Um, I was getting paid 10 bucks an hour. Um, uh, regardless of whatever labor laws existed, there, there was no overtime pay, uh, but there was a lot, a lot of hours. And I just showed up to work one day and the legislative director basically just erased everything I was working on and drew a big pot leaf under my name on the whiteboard where he maintained everyone's jobs and said, you're now in charge of implementing marijuana legalization for the state of Colorado uh, on behalf of the House Majority Office. Uh, go meet uh, then Majority Leader uh, Representative Dan Pabone, who's another great attorney that's in this industry. You're going to be helping him. And I helped carry the bills uh, that implemented marijuana legalization through the Colorado House, shepherd them through the Senate, uh, then got hired by the Marijuana Enforcement Division um, and ran policy implementation for the Marijuana Enforcement Division uh, with some amazing people like Louis Kosky and Ron Kamerzell uh, over there. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I loved working at the MED. I loved working at the legislature, um, but I'm a Jewish boy from New Jersey, a deadhead through and through. And eventually uh, there were a lot of people with guns and badges at the MED, which I really liked, but uh, was not the place for me. And uh, Christian and I, Christian Cedarberg, who's a great friend of a lot of the folks on this show, um, have become really close during the implementation of legalization because basically they ran the campaign and his goal was to not screw this up for everyone else. And uh, I was told by my brothers and family and friends living back in New Jersey, you better not screw this up for everyone else. And so we hit it off right away. Uh, and so when it was time to leave the state and leave public service, 
I just called up Christian and was like, I want to come work at VS and I want to go, you know, legalize cannabis and end the drug war and help build an industry with you guys. And that was in 2014 and through thick and thin and good and bad and, and all the journeys that we've been on now, we're all still kind of trying to make the world a better place together. It's a pretty awesome experience, I would say. So Jordan, you asked me before if you could swear in the show. My answer to you is for what you just described and what you've done the last uh, seven or eight years is fuck yeah. And thank you for all the work you've put in for uh, for Canvas in general and for uh, for all of us out there that have been fighting this fight. Uh, having a person like you step in and go from the New Jersey State House to, to jumping into VS Strategies is uh, is something I think all of us owe you a debt of gratitude for uh, and just making um, our fight that much easier with competent people on our side. Uh, I, thanks, man. I mean, I guess I, I, I just feel like I'm this lucky fucking hippie kid from New Jersey who gets to do the most fun thing in the world and work with the most fun people and, um, you know, really, really get to be passionate about building our industry, um, but really doing something that creates massive social change at the same time and makes the world a better place for our kids. Well, I would agree with that, Jordan. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like you might be one or two years younger than I am. I'm not sure. But uh, when when I started off, uh, you know, practicing law in 1987, uh, legalized marijuana was truly a pipe dream. And uh, that's about the only time we ever thought of it. And so, you know, all of a sudden here I am much later in my career and the opportunity is here. But I will say, uh, just like you, that it's been a wonderful experience and an opportunity to really get involved and work with this industry that I've uh, been a fan of and uh, participants in for such a long period of time and, and to finally see it come above ground and in a way and to know that we get to help shape it and we get to work with it. And uh, I uh, was cutting my chops in this industry with Bob Hoban and his group for quite some time. Uh, Bob has now gone off in another direction and taken uh, the Hoban Law Group one way and uh, wishing him the best of luck. And I continue my fight for the good guys in Illinois and, uh, you know, try to keep uh, moving things forward. And, you know, now that we got some licenses announced, that's all good, too. But uh, it is a wonderful thing. And um, I know Vincente Cedarberg has been at the center of a lot of the uh, a lot of the fights that have taken place. Bob Hoban, I know, worked with you guys on some of them and, and a lot of others you've gone into states and, and really helped establish those policies. And as Rob says, you know, that's the, the dirty work that nobody sees. You know, most of the people out there just say, oh, wow, I can go buy marijuana in my state. Isn't that great? And they run off and do it without really thinking about what everybody had to do to put it in, you know, put it in there. Tell us, what are, what are, the, um, what are the big issues on, going on right now that you're working with? Um, I mean, I think it's it, it runs the gamut. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in Colorado that I'd love to talk about because um, that's, you know, sometimes the future for the rest of the country. Um, really, really excited about what's going on in New Mexico right now, our neighbor to the south. Um, one of the few states that have, have legalized um, and put forward a market recently without a very restrictive cap system. Um, so I think that that's really an exciting thing to see and an exciting development from a market perspective. Um, obviously, I think everyone's keeping their eyes on Mississippi and, and is anything actually going to happen down there is, is uh, you know, something interesting and something probably worth talking about. And then, you know, what is the impact of the East Coast domino? And that's before you even get to uh, the federal level, which I think you guys talked a lot about last time. So maybe we can skip. But I, I, I'd like to talk about my favorite thing first um, to talk about, which is cannabis hospitality and cannabis delivery um, in Colorado these days. Um, and the reason that is, is because, I, you know, I, I was having a great conversation with some folks that work uh, in the alcohol industry yesterday at the federal level. And, you know, I likened, even in a state like Colorado, I likened legalization to alcohol without bars or restaurants or concert venues or comedy clubs. 
Like, it's it, cannabis legalization basically means you don't go to jail for possessing it, and there are the equivalent of liquor stores where you can buy it and you can use it at your house. Um, and I don't live my life that way. Um, and most of my friends don't live our lives that way. We live our lives in, as social creatures out in the community. Um, I get most of my stuff delivered. The cannabis store is one of the few stores that I go to. It's kind of like the grocery store. You actually kind of like going to it, but I think we should have the option to have it delivered if it's a legal product. Um, and that's a, really a consumer choice issue. Um, and then I think just like alcohol consumers, we should be able to go out with our friends and go socialize a, at restaurants and bars and venues that cater to our community. Um, I mean, maybe one day they'll let us do both at the same place. I've got uh, reams and reams of experience and, uh, you know, single study data that shows it can be done safely. But, uh, you know, I think that that's really the next phase of the world, right, is 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 not you're not a criminal for using cannabis, but in fact, two grown adults can go out and have a nice dinner together um, and consume cannabis, right? Like how many cannabis industry events have you been at where they serve alcohol and you're like, where can I go smoke a joint? And they're like, oh, no, you can't do that here. And I'm like, usually like, all right, cool. Like I'm going right outside and doing it anyway. But um, to me, that's the that's that's the thing we need to start talking about is, is equal treatment under the law um, and what that and means. As a point of clarification... Dan Humiston never let me smoke weed in his events. So, you know, Dan, just listen to what Jordan's saying. Next to me, throw an event, you know, like make a, uh, <laughs> make a small room where we can all sit there and, uh, and pack bowls. Although for the record, I want to say I noticed that that never stopped our good friend, Mr. Marty. So I'm just throwing that out there as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got here through civil disobedience, right? Like, you know. Yeah, there's usually quite the crowd outside a cannabis event uh, smoking. Yeah. And it's not the event producers like that are making these decisions. It's the states and local governments that have not created a regulatory system around social consumption. Um, and, and, and even folks who I mean, we dealing with these folks in Colorado that are like, we support legalization, but we oppose hospitality. And it's like, well, it's like, that's nice. I appreciate that you don't think I should be put in a cage. But actually, like my wife and I deserve the same rights that you and your husband have. Um, we just prefer cannabis instead of alcohol well jordan the way i i refer to it sometimes like when i'm talking or giving presentations is you know i, I say to people you know marijuana is not legal right you can't go buy it on a street corner you can't smoke a joint on the street you, you, it, it's not legal it's still illegal with a few exceptions that have now been written into the law by way of these adult use laws so what can we do under adult use law you can go to a specific place buy a from a specific person for cash bring it home in a plain brown bag and not open it till you get home. But when you get home, go downstairs in your basement to smoke it so nobody on the street can see you. And I said, I'm not quite sure how that's any different from my high school experience. But, you know, it, that's, that's basically, you're right, the system that we have. And it, it, there's no reason if, if, if people can sell it and if the government can make tax revenue off of it, why we shouldn't be allowed to have the same rights that other uh, uh, businesses have and other businesses that, especially in the uh, liquor industry. And yes, as we spoke a week or two ago, the, those very points were made by no less than uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Well, right. He, he, he was, <laughs> that was interesting too. What was your take on, uh, on, on Thomas's uh, written opinion, Jordan? I don't know. I mean, okay. Yeah, thanks. We've all been thinking the same thing. Like, appreciate you saying it. Um, listen, I, I, everyone think we can talk about this academically all we want. It's pretty straightforward. Up until the point where the political incentives are such that people actually want to legalize cannabis at the federal level, it's not going to change. 
like human beings respond to incentives. We're all com- incentive computers that process the incentives around us. Politicians are no different. Right now, the incentives are to focus on other things and have other priorities. And until those incentives change, um, you know, we're still going to be there. And everyone can look at it and be like, this makes no sense. It's like, well, you know, for sure, like the Supreme Court, you could agree or disagree with Clarence Thomas on whatever you want, but he's no dummy. And anybody can look at this and be like, well, this makes no sense. Um, but it's not, it's this, this is politics. It's not logic or reason. It's ephemeral and it's human beings. And so it's going to take some time. It's, it's cool when everyone else looks at it and they're like, this doesn't make any sense, but it's like, it's almost like validation of what we live with every day in this industry of this, like, you know, this makes no sense. Um, so it was, it's cool to see, but, uh, you know, we're making progress and it's slow and steady. And, you know, that's, that's what all of this stuff has been, you know? This hasn't been one big, massive, sweeping change. It's, it's incrementalism. It's baby steps one after another after another. The Overton window changes, and you can get more done. You know, we never would have been able to have, uh, you know, thoughtful discussions about social equity programs if Colorado hadn't generally legalized. We wouldn't be talking about hospitality if there wasn't decriminalization. We wouldn't be talking about psychedelic reform if there probably wasn't cannabis reform. Like, it's just one thing after another. And Colorado, you know, two years ago in 2019, we had this unbelievable legislative session, Polis's first, Jared Polis's first in office, where they we passed a whole bunch of landmark legislation about medical access, as well as delivery and hospitality and some financing reforms. Um, and those reforms are now working their way through the local government. Kudos to Denver that actually opted in to cannabis hospitality and will allow licensing of businesses for on-site legal consumption of cannabis. Um, they are allowed to be co-located with restaurants. So you can actually have a cannabis restaurant. We're working on getting that done up in Boulder. Aurora has already put regulations out for it um, and is considering it. And, you know, I hope that at least a few years from now, especially as the pandemic, which has just ravaged the hospitality industry pretty hard over the last several years, um, kind of comes to an end that, you know, we'll be able to go out to dinner. You guys will come to Denver for some event, one reason or another. And instead of going out to a restaurant that serves alcohol, we can go out to a restaurant that, that is designed to cater to our community. It's kind of become my wife and I's dream at this point. Like, can we just go out to a restaurant that's for us as opposed to, to, you know, it's not that I never drink alcohol. It's nothing, nothing against it. It's just, I'd rather consume cannabis. And it's kind of weird that there's no restaurants that cater to us. Jordan, are these restaurants you're talking about going to make space available for people who want to consume the cannabis they bring with them, or will they also be able to make cannabis-infused food items? So those are a bunch of different interesting questions. So the law allows for three different kinds of businesses, a bring-your-own-cannabis model, an on-site service, more like a bar or restaurant that would bring you a glass of wine that they have there, um, as well as mobile hospitality for tour buses and, and things like that. Um, there isn't an events license, which is kind of tricky, but I, there's some there's some solutions that we've been able to come up with that aren't great, but you know eventually we might get there. So the law allows for both. Um, what it doesn't allow for is on-site infusion. Um, so you can buy flour, you can buy concentrates, you can buy edibles, and you can serve those edibles. And I, there was some significant concern uh, around testing and whether those products could be tested. And so I had a uh, very long conversation with some of the folks at our regulatory agency. Colorado, I think, has hands down the best regulators in the country. I Maybe I'm biased if I used to work there, and I think they're wonderful. But we had some really thoughtful conversations, and they're like, how is this going to work? And I was basically like, I don't know. They're chefs. Like, 
It's literally like all all day long. They measure ingredients. They put them in there. That's how they make each dish taste the same. Like that's what they do. And they were like, Jordan, can we just come back and revisit this in a few years after the program gets going? And I was like, all right, that's reasonable. Like that makes sense. Uh, I was a little disappointed having a brother that we mentioned that's in the hospitality industry here in Colorado that uh, has done some really cool things around cannabis. Uh, Passover has really never been the same at our family ever since uh, ever since that started coming around. And I think there would have been some cool stuff uh, with chefs in town and special events. But, you know, I, I, I get the regulator's perspective too, right? Like, we're so concerned about testing that, you know, if you're not going to test edibles, it probably makes sense that you kind of, we got we got to come up with a solve here uh, for this. And we will. We'll get there. Uh, as long as we're throwing out Jewish holidays, Jordan, for us, it's uh, Rosh Hashanah and the uh, infused honey, which always makes for a, uh, a very, very happy New Year. So uh, Absolutely. Uh, as soon as I first time I found that in Colorado when I was out there uh, for a Hoban retreat and brought it back home and everybody loved it so much that the next year I was out there, I had orders to literally bring back three or four or five bottles. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just amazing how everybody just becomes a lot more relaxed and likes to sit there and sing at the table and uh you know, uh, it, it, it was greeted with, uh, with, with great appreciation. So uh, I enjoyed being able to uh, infuse the party, if you will. Absolutely. So um, we've been talking quite a bit about Denver and, and Colorado, but uh, Jordan, you're doing some work down in New Mexico. What's going on down there? Yeah, I, I mean, our firm, we're, we're the uh, political and government affairs arm of the Vicente Cedarburg Law Firm. The firm is called VS Strategies. So we represent a bunch of clients here in Colorado, work with ancillary services really all over the country doing different kinds of lobbying and then dive super deep into different markets where uh, we have clients that are really engaged, whether it be Pennsylvania or Mississippi. And New Mexico is one of those. Um, I I love New Mexico because it's right. It's right down south. It's our neighbor down there. um, And they've struggled for a few years to kind of get from a very small medical market to an actual adult use market. Um, they passed what I think is an awesome, awesome piece of legislation down there to implement, um, you know, the kind of neck and neck with New York. Um, in some ways, New York, you can't, you can't hate on New York. You can smoke a cigarette. You can smoke weed anywhere. You can smoke a cigarette. So that was the first time we've ever seen that. And that's pretty cool. But New Mexico, you know, they're just going to go through a much more normal licensing process. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be your standard license types, as well as the possibility for other uh, different kinds of, uh, you know, cannabis uh, licenses and different kind of expansion of the market. But there's no state cap, um, so it's not Illinois, it's not uh, New York, New Jersey, some of these other states where where the state's going to tell you how many businesses you're going to run. The states, you know, there's going to be some level of production management, but it's not, you know, we're going to give out you know, this number of cultivation licenses for this total number of square feet. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't get it. You know, I, I, I understand the need, want to be thoughtful and patient and not overdo things, but it's, it's the only market in the country that I'm aware of other than maybe some random states with weird liquor laws like Pennsylvania or some gaming uh, where the state's going to determine the number of businesses that should exist. And they're usually not very good at it, right? I mean, that's kind of the been the mo in the history and in my home state in new jersey you know they've really struggled to get more production going and i have friends from back home that qualify for medical that that don't even get a card and and don't even try cannabis or just go to the illicit market um and new mexico has taken a different pathway um and it's a southwestern state and it's it's getting opened up into an open market um it's right next to texas um I, you know it's not that far from austin 
Um, you know, Texas is a big state. We talk about federal things moving forward. New Mexico, you know, Colorado influences New Mexico. New Mexico influences Texas. Texas influences the federal government. Um, you know, you all of a sudden you're in a pretty interesting place from a from a reform perspective. So, and that doesn't even get into. I mean, New Mexico has amazing tourism and everything else. So I think the market possibilities there are are super super dynamic, and the fact that the state's not just going to dictate everything. I think gives us a real opportunity to, to see what happens when that when the state's not saying okay there's going to be a hundred stores in the entire state because um, that's not good for consumers it's not good for patients right yep we're, we have some clients down in new mexico as well applicants and uh i think licenses might start getting issued as early as uh, september of this year yeah 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 we have a client that's that's uh working on properties now there's the local governments are going through their implementation process which is happening very very quickly uh, the state has issued their producer regs. Uh, maybe worth noting, they, they had uh, canopy limits set in their initial set of regs, and they doubled them in round two. So, you know, I think that's probably largely good news for both producers as well as consumers, um, you know, that, that there's going to be a little bit more slack in the market when it opens up. And, you know, I think within the next year, you're going to start to see a pretty vibrant market take off uh, down in New Mexico, and that'll be really exciting. Yes, I certainly agree. And, um, well, we've hit cannabis policy pretty good. Do we want to shift gears to music? Or are there any other cannabis topics you want to touch on before we do? Well, actually, before we talk Watkins Glen and we have Jordan, I want to hear about this Billy and the Kids show that uh, he was telling us about. And uh, Watkins Glen we'll get to, but Billy and the Kids just happened when, Jordan? So last week. Um, so it's been pretty exciting. Live music has come back in Colorado. Um, Actually, uh, uh, I, I, maybe not the most out of everyone I know, but I have managed to get to seven shows at Red Rocks already this summer. Um, uh, so, yeah, I got to see a couple Panic shows. I uh, got to see uh, Dark Star, Bobby, uh, a Leftover Salmon show uh, with a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then the highlight, the highlight of, of my music in, in years has been this Billy. Billy and the Kids came. They did those shows the uh, out in Hawaii uh, where it was, you know, Billy and the Kids is a band he's had for a few years with... Tom Hamilton and Aaron Manger and Reed Mathis and they're just you know they play that kind of electric fast-paced fire Grateful Dead that you just you just don't get every time these days when it gets a little slow and then real slow uh, sometimes and, and hey, hey Jordan did, did did Dominic Lally play with him this time because I know Dom sits in sometimes when uh, when they're in Denver no 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 so the first so he's got their the core band plus a saxophone player named James Casey and the uh, incomparable Billy Strings uh, who is a big time favorite in the Wellington household. Um, and so, and then on Friday, uh, on Monday, so it was a Monday, Tuesday show, which is just crazy and brutal and I'm old, is largely part of the review, I guess. Um, Monday, Tuesday shows are rough. You're, but, not, uh, you're not allowed to say that with this group. I'm the youngest of this group. <laughs> I think I might be a little bit younger than you, Rob, so I, I can't even imagine. You are. That's why. That's the point, Jordan. You're not, you're not allowed to call yourself old in this group. And just so you guys know, I, even though this show is going to be broadcast on Monday, uh, the 26th, uh, we're taping it uh, the week before, and tomorrow on Thursday, I'm departing for my son's bachelor party up in Wisconsin. So um, I think they're bringing me along to laugh at me a little bit, but we'll see. But, yeah, you, you know you feel old when it's like your kid's having a bachelor party, but... I will tell you that I, I strongly believe that it's a bonds made between marijuana and Grateful Dead, or in this case, more fish, uh, that you know have generated this kind of connection where I'm invited along to something where my dad might not have been invited when that was me 30 years ago. So at any rate, uh, yes, that, that's not to reveal my age too much, but that's, that, those are the issues I'm dealing with. Yeah. 
So yeah, he had uh, at, 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 on the first night he had Jeff Franca and Jason Hahn from String Cheese come out uh, to do a drums before the encore, and then the second night, uh, just Franca came out for drums um, for the uh, like to start the encore. But he also had Paul Hoffman from Green Sky Bluegrass come out. Um, so it was, I mean, it was the music was absolutely fantastic. Uh, like tons of tons of highlights. Reed Mathis singing "Brown Eyed Women" was particularly fire. Uh, you don't expect a positively Fourth Street very much at all, but uh, pretty pretty amazing uh, on that one. Um, the so many roads that Billy sang, Billy uh, Billy String sang the first night was at, was just awesome, and uh, there was this bird song, "Other One Sandwich," that just was like I mean, you just don't get you know I mean when you go see Dead and Company, I, I don't we don't need to rehash the old discussion about why it's slow, but it is and. We went to go it see. Is. We got to go see uh, Bobby and the Wolf Brothers, and it was super tasty and super choice and super slow, um, which was fun, and we loved it. We had a great time. We had a really good crew out for that one. But uh, the second night of Billy, Billy and the kids, I think we had about thirty people with us. Um, huge uh, VS and cannabis contingent from folks from all over the industry um, came out. We had a really really good group, which is always fun when you can kind of occupy you know, three or four levels of rows at Red Rocks at a GA show. Um, but I also uh, got to take the superhero in my life, uh, my son Robbie, who is a, a big music fan. Uh, he is turning five for his fifth birthday in August. Uh, he's done two Red Rocks shows already this summer. He did the Leftover show and Billy and the Kids. And he just, I was like, it's late. And he, during the week, I'm like, I don't know if you can go. And his response was, I'm going. I want to go see Billy Strings, Daddy. And like, how do you argue with that? You know, you're just like, all right. So Jordan. Yeah. Jordan, does this mean does this mean your five year old is walking around your house going festival? Uh, we just got this like Derek and the Dominoes, uh, or sorry, it's the Derek the Tedeschi Trucks band with Trey did that uh, that Layla. They just put it out on vinyl, and I was listening to it, and Robbie was in his room playing Legos, singing "Why Does Love Have to Be So Sad" over and over again, and I was just like, Mike, you are my fucking superhero, dude. Um, so. Yeah, he's, we're taking him to Dillon this weekend for a bluegrass festival that they're doing up there. Um, and he just he just did amazing. He, he crushed it. He was there till like 10, 15 at night um, and said, Daddy, I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm like, that's okay. We can go home whenever you want. He's like, Daddy, I really want to stay at Red Rocks. This is so awesome. I'm like, I know how you feel. Uh, I'm like, why don't you stay till the end of this song? So, um, and then so, my wife. So Jordan. Yeah. But my my five year old now knows the difference between tweezer and tweezer reprise, which makes me very very happy. Yeah, and he'll be like, no no, that's not tweezer, that's tweezer reprise. Yeah, and he knows all the words to contact. He knows all the words to um like well not all the words, but he's learning a lot of the words to Haley's Comet, which as you know are super difficult lyrics. So it's uh he's he's got it going. I've got both my children working on the harmony of uh of the end of bouncing around the room. I uh, started taking our sons to Red Rocks when they were five, six years old. Our son, Jack, who's now 23, his first show was String Cheese and the Almond Brothers at Red Rocks. And he was at uh, Billy and the Kids. I did not go. I, it was a school night for me. I had to keep working. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it was a great show. I, I think they introduced a new song because I saw some of the video of it later. Uh, it's called Thunder, I believe, and it's a new uh, Robert Hunter song that was never released. Yeah, with Billy Strings, who put the music to it. They played it the first night and, like, a little tease of it the second night, and that one was, was really cool. I mean, it's just kind of amazing that you could... I mean, every one of us, it's, you know, it becomes a generational thing, and uh, taking my kid to see this stuff has been great. It's been a lot of Tom Petty in my house, actually. Um, his fifth birthday is 
he's requesting a dinosaur construction donut Tom Petty themed birthday party and is demanding that we get a Tom Petty cover band. Um, I can't figure out if he wants to like front the Tom Petty cover band or actually listen to them play. Uh, but it's been a lot of wildflowers and walls in our house. So he's got he's got exceptional taste. And, uh, you know, Jim, I think that's super cool. I, we didn't even talk about this before, but um, talk about Kismet. You know, Robbie was was two and his first ever Red Rocks show was also string cheese, uh, but had the the immortal Del McCurry as the as the, the opener. Um, so I was like super, super proud. I was like, yeah, you're. You know, then he talks to some lady at the show, like at, le- like at the leftover show when we took him, and she's like, oh, you're so young. Have you ever been to Red Rocks before? And he's like, oh, Pasha, I used to come here all the time before the sickies. Yeah. Our older son, Matt, who's 33, he lost his first tooth at a Grateful Dead concert in the Silver Bowl in Las Vegas in 1992. And we, we count his first show of tell- as Grateful Dead Telluride 87, in vitro, my wife was pregnant at the time with our firstborn. So yeah, we started early with them. But yeah, great video, great shows. Um, yeah, the sound this year at Red Rocks is phenomenal. I also was at uh, Bob Weir and the Wolf Brothers and Widespread Panic and uh, Michael Friante. And uh, yeah, that new roof and the speakers that are, that they're hanging there all summer, they don't move them. Uh, just incredible sound at Red Rocks this year. Yeah, the the new roof is fantastic. The the new lighting system that they've installed, even the house lights are completely out of control. Um, and the shows have been great, and it's been super fun to take uh, the kid. And and I mean, what 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 can be better than than kind of being able to enjoy this stuff? You know, at at, at Red Rocks. I, I don't know. I kind of the first time I went there, I saw Neil Young, and I was like, oh shit! Like this is this is a new thing I need to do with my time. I'm not. I can't leave Denver as long as this is a thing because there's just nothing else like being there it's it's cosmic in a way and uh we got really good weather those first couple of nights with with billy and uh they opened with china cat on the first show and they played i know you rider to close the second encore after got a a a drums terrapin rider encore which is i think probably pretty rare in the uh in the list of things you can get and so uh it was it was a pretty amazing amazing couple of nights it's been a great year in Colorado. We really are opening up here. I travel some, and I'm up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they are a long way from opening up up here. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit overwhelming um, with the with the music that's been coming around. But I mean, we're getting we're get, we're, we're getting all all the Grateful Dead choices. Uh, we got Bobby coming. We got Billy coming. We got Phil coming. We got Dead and Company coming. So. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to take my kid to, to, to as much as I can, I, I can handle uh, putting him on my shoulders for and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get him to do that stuff because you, you, the, the younger you start him on music, regardless of what they end up loving, I think the, the better and the real relationship that they'll have with well, him. Well, Jordan, let me tell you this. I started my kids a little bit later only because I was selfish and I didn't want to go to the show and have to deal with my kids. I just, you know, oh my God. I, I, yeah. you know I love my kids, and I, you know, but at some point along the way, I need to be able to just go and enjoy. So, you know, my kids went through music the way most kids do. We had the big argument about it on the car rides where we're going to listen to Scarlet Fire, you know, from uh, Hartford in 1983, Dick's Picks number six. Yet again, Dad, or can we please listen to The Fray? So, you know, my wife playing Peacemaker, we wound up listening to The Fray as much as we wound up listening to The Dead. But now here they are many years later, and all three of my boys ranging in age from 30 to 19 
are all jam band fans. They love fish. They like the dead. They would go to see any of it. So I think, you know, part of it's just DNA, although I always joked that there wasn't a single album in my father's record collection that I had any interest in. And every time I go back to St. Louis, I check just to see, and I'm always like, nope, nothing there. And my kids are like coming through and picking my albums clean. So it's, it's a nice feeling. Well, while we're talking about uh, all the great music coming through Colorado, let's not forget to mention we got three fish shows on Labor Day weekend. Yes, you do. But I'll be seeing fish in um, Indy uh, very shortly, August uh, 7th and 8th. So 6th and 7th, 7th and 8th, whatever that Saturday and Sunday is. And then, Larry, you, you and Jordan and Jim are all going to come down and visit me in San Diego, I'm sure, to see fish as well. So let's just uh, you know, put it on the record that everyone's expected to be down at that, uh, at that show. And, and, Jim, just to put it on the record as well, um, I think I've lost a lot of things for the first time at Grateful Dead shows. So it's great that it was a tooth for your child, but I can <laughs> put the uh, put the blank space in there and uh, you know add the, uh, the the Mad Libs, and uh, you could add one of like fifty different words for what it is that I lost for the first time at a Grateful Dead show. Well, that's a funny story because you know it was during Box of Rain, and uh, he had, he immediately dropped and lost his tooth there in the stands there at the Silver Bowl. And we're looking for it, and we're looking for it because you know how exciting it is to lose your first tooth and put it under your pillow and get a few coins or a dollar. Or chips. Yeah. Bag of weed. One of the ladies who was with us, she bends down and she picks up a little kernel of corn from popcorn. She goes, oh, here's your tooth. And he took it like it was really his tooth, and I put it under his pillow that night. And uh, the tooth fairy came. I put it under his pillow, and I said goodnight, and I, I headed out at midnight and came back when the sun was coming up. And what she give him two taps? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, the perfect gift. Well, let's uh, let's let's take a moment here and transition over because um, uh, we've got some really great Grateful Dead stuff to talk about today, um, and it's the uh, summer jam that the Dead played at Watkins Glen uh, on July twenty eighth, uh, nineteen seventy three, uh, on a bill where they opened. They were the opening act, and then followed by the band with the Allman Brothers uh, closing things out later in the evening. Uh, there was rain during the day. Uh, there was a lot of mud. There was 600,000 people, uh, and it was really a lot of fun. Uh, there's great write-ups on it. The, uh, the music is fantastic, although some people say it may not have been the Dead's best show, but it was probably the largest crowd they ever played in front of. Rob, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll start off with saying if you thought the Tinley Park 1990 traffic was bad, by all accounts, the traffic getting into that place is absolute insanity. And I'll also say, I've never been in a crowd of 600,000 people. The biggest show I ever saw the Dead play was maybe Buffalo, which was, I think, held 105,000 at, at Rich Stadium. And that felt so claustrophobically huge. I mean, look, I, I, I look for access at shows uh, as far as, like, backstage or laminates, not, not because, like, I like want to be close to the artist. I just don't want to be out in the crowd a lot of the time. And I just want to be someplace with like a clean bathroom and like access to free drinks. <laughs> um, six, 600,000 people would scare the hell out of me as far as being in a crowd that size. And I look at like, even like some of the other like English town or some of the other things, you know, other spots that were like these massive like crowds, Watkins Glen, you see the pictures of that thing. It is absolute insanity that someone thought that was a good idea. Well, you're right, and, but the, 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 the set list, you know, from this show is just absolutely amazing, and uh, what, what's really great is uh, at the very end, uh, there was a... It's a Sing Me Back Home. It's a Sing Me Back Home closer. It's a Sing Me Back Home closer, exactly right, but the encore is what excites me, because you had a nod, fade, mountain jam, and Johnny Be Good with all three bands on stage. And they were all out there jamming away and contributing, and uh, uh, it, it's really exciting stuff and really a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and 
I would recommend it to anybody, as with just about any of the stuff we listen to on this talk about on this show. However, I think that was the last time they played with the Allen Brothers before uh, Greg Allman was notoriously accused of being a narc, and everyone's like, you know, f that guy. We're, we're no longer, at least in the Grateful Dead organization, like we're all set with the Allen Brothers because we can't trust that what our lifestyle is is going to match up with theirs. And uh, I think that was the last time they really, you know, hung out together, despite the fact that there's massive mutual respect as musicians, and obviously there's lots of Allen Brothers overlap now with the Dead and Company people, um, you know, in later stages, but I think Greg was given a pretty bad rap right around that time. Well, I am old enough to have been there, but I was not there. Um, a lot of my friends uh, headed out because I was growing up in Massachusetts at the time, so a bunch of my friends went out there, and yeah, they had stories about the crowd and the mud, but uh, one of the big takeaways from that show, I believe the um, um, set list warm-up uh, turned into a huge jam with the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers on a Friday night before the two regular shows. The, exactly right. The, the big surprise and secret, or not such well-kept secret about Watkins Glen, is that the Dead arrived the day before, and they started doing a sound check, and the crowd gathered, and it did turn into, uh, in essence, a mini-show uh, that was very well-received, and, and uh, in some respects, people thought they played better uh, that day than, than they did the next day. It wasn't a particularly long set, uh, two sets of music, but it was well played. Um, but really, I think the takeaway from that that's my favorite part of it is the jam that they play uh, leading into the Warfred. It turns out to be about a 19 or 20 minute jam. I first heard it years ago when the So Many Roads box set came out, and it's included on there on one of the discs in the uh, So Many Roads set. Um, and, and just listened to it and was so inspired by it that I had to go out and get the whole story on this sound check and what it was all about. Uh, but Dan, I think uh, we have uh, queued up for you a clip from that sound check. If you want to go ahead and uh, and spin that for us for a minute here, this is from the uh, sound check jam of the uh, Grateful Dead sound check on July 27th, 1973, the day before uh, the summer jam. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, that's, this is 1973. They're at their peak, right, Rob? This is like as good as it gets if you're a Grateful Dead fan. As we've all talked about, I love 73. I love the weather reports. I love the singing back homes. I loved all the stuff that happened there. I love the fact that the China Rider transition jams were not the uh, the same transition jam that you got, you know, post 73. I love the wave that flag. Uh, they you know, love the each other. Blues. Yeah, there, there are so many highlights that came out of that year that are so much fun to listen to. But, uh, but the Watkins Glen, I mean, for all the times that the dead always said that they were never at their peak during sort of like the biggest nights, I totally disagree with that statement. I think there's a lot of the nights that they're like, were supposed to be huge nights and they actually were on. And I think maybe they're just overcritical of themselves. But I think Watkins Glen, I've always loved the, that show. I've always loved the set list and the, uh, and the performance. Yeah, I mean, I think that one's just super, super fun to listen to. I've, I've, I've queued it up many times in my life and... Uh, I, yeah, I, the idea that there's 600,000 people is by far the largest, I mean, 10 times the size of the largest concert I've ever been to. Like, I think about, like, the field at Bonnaroo or something like that, you know, back in the day before it stopped becoming jam band heavy and we would actually go. Like, 
and that like the, what what a crowd of seventy five thousand people or sixty thousand people look like to think about putting that at ten x, um, you know I think that stuff like that just used to happen and now I, I think Robbie put it pe- people might think better of it especially with the, with this group but uh, I mean you basically have my I mean probably about three of my top five or just my top three favorite bands of all time playing on one bill like how can you how can you beat that all all corners of of improvisational rock and roll from Southern to whatever the hell you want to classify the dead. And then, you know, the band are the opposite. The band are like the pure, the tight, the, the tight vocals, the harmonies, everything that was like the other side of rock and roll music. Uh, you know, the band were, I, I don't know, the embodiment of it, the perfection of it. I mean, how could, how could you go, how, how could you do better than Ronnie Hawkins and then Bob Dylan and then on your own and the stuff they recorded um, on their own. And so, to think that like you're on this bill and the dead aren't the headliners, but it would be hard to argue that you know you could have any one of them, and it would be hard to argue that no, they absolutely should be. And to, to put that together and to see it that way, um, it, you know, it is unbelievable. And the fact that they could drag all those guys out there, you know, it, it that stuff it's it felt like that stuff happened like a long time back in the day, and then it didn't, right? I mean, um, and then it started up again, um, especially like with Levon and the Barn and. I was looking at pictures a couple of weeks ago from back in the day, and, and, and my kid was asking about them, and I'm like, that is Lee Von Helm playing with Bob Weir, because they did that at, you know, the Gathering of the Vibes in, like, 2008 or something like that, and you're just sitting there, and it's like Taj Mahal, Bob Weir, and Lee Von Helm are on stage next to each other, and it's, you know, that stuff is crazy, and then, you know, the Allman Brothers and the Dead stuff, really, I mean, it was almost, it was really like Warren Haynes, right, even before O'Teal, uh, and I remember, you know, when we first started, when I first started really, really heavily getting into the dead, not just like high school getting into the dead, but college getting into the dead was when, you know, Phil was playing with Warren and we went to these shows down south and it was like a double bill between the Allman Brothers band and the, and the quintet um, and the back and forth improvisation between those shows is maybe like one of the few things like there's, you know, this mountain jam that's both bands, right? I mean, when was the last time that happened? Watkins Glen. <laughs> Watkins Glen, and you've got Jimmy Herring, Derek Trucks, and Warren Haynes on stage with each other, uh, with O'Teal and, and Phil on bass at the same. I mean, it was just ridiculous. So they're like, those may be the three greatest rock guitarists alive today, all playing, you know, at one time together. And I suppose you could debate throwing Trey in there or something. I don't know, I, but, I but yeah, those guys are amazing. Those guys are absolutely amazing. So Jordan, I have to ask you now, and I'm sorry, but I, I'm just I'm curious, and you're just at that age where. Um, you know, based on what you just said about high school, did you ever see the Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia live? No, no. I was 15 when he died. I had no clue. I was just starting to get into music. I just started going to my first few concerts, and and you know, I you gotta you, you got you gotta learn the basics before you start taking physics and and, and shit like that. And I was listening to Allman Brothers. I started, you know, it was like the Allman Brothers, and then someone was like, "Oh, if you like Allman Brothers, you should listen to the Dead." Um, and, and I was like, you know, it took, it, 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 I think for most people, it's also like the first time you hear it, it takes some time to even really get into it. So I feel like I was, I was just too young. My first, my first dead related show was, I think like the 97 or 98 further tour. I think it was maybe 97. I was a senior in high school, um, and went with one of my buddies. Um, but I was, I think I was like freshman turning sophomore. I, I remember where I was. Uh, oddly enough, I was at the JCC in Bergen County, uh, pour one out to the old, the old stomping grounds. And someone was like, Jerry Garcia just died. And I was like, oh, that's, I don't really know what that means, but that sounds important. Uh, and a few years later it was like, oh, I, I now, I now really understand what that means. So, 
you know. But uh, that's okay because you're the classic example of, you know, the person who was born to be a deadhead. You just were born a little bit too late, but you've obviously had no trouble developing into one and, and you know, going in the direction that any one of us went when we were your age. We just had the benefit of, you know, the fact that Jerry was still around. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's going to be the most timeless thing. I mean, it's going to exist in perpetuity. Um, you know, the Grateful Dead is unique in the sense that it is... It is the it is the, uh, the an amalgamation of every form of American music that has come before it and since, right? I mean, you know, and, and there is no there is no band that you go see country and blues and rock and roll and jazz and sometimes it's all in one song and then sometimes it's a folk song and then it's you know like a New Orleans song and then you know you just you can't it, it and then and then they start you know Mickey starts hitting the beam and you're like okay well this is basically electronic music like I don't you know. You know, so there's just nothing else like it, and uh, it's been pretty cool to be able to see everything. There's like that meme out there that the Earth is five billion years old, and you got to live at the same time as Jerry Garcia. <laughs> uh, so what are, what are you complaining right. about? Like I, you know, like out of out of all of the random things that have occurred, I I, I got to experience this when it existed, and uh, even though I didn't get to see him, there's there's still plenty of that stuff out there, and you know the community and the energy that exists when when people get together and play that music is. Uh, you know, that, that was the biggest lesson of the pandemic music-wise. It's the thing that I miss is the people about the music because you can watch all the live streams and the concerts all you want, but it doesn't feel the same and it's indescribable. But you put, you know, 10,000 people at Red Rocks all loving the same thing and there's just this energy that exists. And I fully admit that I'm completely and utterly addicted to that energy. Uh, and that was... Sure, we all are. It's wonderful. Eight, 18 months of withdrawal. Yeah, I mean, the Grateful Dead are an industry. There's a... Uh not a town in America that doesn't have one, two, or three Grateful Dead tribute bands. I mean, it's putting a lot of musicians to work all across the world, really. And what I love how mainstream it's gone, right? Every it seems like every major league team now has a Grateful Dead night where they bring in a Grateful Dead cover band and they give out their, their team's cap with a steal your face with their team's logo in it. And in St. Louis, it's become a big thing. And I, I just love that because the Dead like blew off St. Louis for the entire 20 years, practically, that I was seeing the Dead until the very end, but the Cardinals... You want to know why, Larry? Why? Because that town's fucking scary. And every time they played there, people got popped. All right? So let's just call that for what it is. No one wanted to go to St. Louis. It was, like, terrifying. Yeah. I don't know that it was that bad. I just think that they would like to play at the Fox Theater, and the town didn't want to have anything to do with them for a while. They did a lot of shows. They did a lot of shows at the Fox Theater. They did, back in the they, day. They, they did. They did. But in the later years, they avoided it like the plague, because uh, it's notoriously the reputation of the, uh, of the state and of the police was, let's stay away from that town. I, I can't tell you how many people I know that boycotted the 1995 uh, St. Louis shows, and that was the only shows they skipped on summer tour. They're like, nah, I'm all good on St. Louis. It's a tough place. I think it's so interesting, right? You go to these shows even today, though, where there are where the security and the cops are like crazy and, and it's super intense and they're yelling at people and busting people. And it's like, this isn't new, guys. It's been going on for like 70 fucking years now, like live hippie music and fucking concerts and rock and roll. Like, if you don't want us to come to your town, then don't invite us. But like, we're coming. And if you invite us, this is like, this is who we are. Like, this is how we're coming. And it's, you know, it seems silly. It's like, you guys, like, you're creating problem for yourself just don't invite the band they did they'd enjoy the night off right such a peaceful crowd that for the most part is going to behave itself there's always one or two characters that have to be brought under control but 
you know, I mean, I've been to heavy metal concerts before where you're looking around, you figure a fight could break out any second in about 12 different places. And, you know, if you're security working one of those things with big biker guys in leather chains drinking lots of beer, I have to imagine that's not such a fun night for you. But you know what the difference is? The difference for law enforcement is that those guys were drinkers and our guys were, were users of cannabis and users of other drugs, right? And so for them, they're like, okay, this is an easy layup. We're not going to get huge resistance. We're not going to have to fight these people. And we're going to be able to bust these guys, you know, without uh, any fear of reprisal from the people we're popping for the most part. And that was the, uh, that was the entire appeal. Like, you got your bust in, you got your, your arrest in. And it was, uh, it, it was on a relatively peaceful group of people that the only thing they were doing differently is that they were nonviolently using drugs instead of being jackasses that were hammered. Right. That's true. It's a very good point. As we come towards the end of our show today, I wanted to mention that uh, seeing the Billy and the kids on video, I thought Billy Kreutzman looked great. He's mid-70s. He's playing really well. He looks really good. He's a handsome man. It's, he's let it be known that he does low-dose psychedelics every day. Don't you? <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> who, who doesn't do low-dose psychedelics every day? I mean, Jordan does. Everyone knows that. Come on, Jim. What's no, going no, on out there? no comment on my, uh, on, on my drug use. Uh, well, maybe some comment sometimes, but not at the moment. But uh, yeah, no, he was he was fantastic. I mean, it was, you know, you kind of don't. I mean, Drummond is not. Uh, it ain't sitting up there and strumming strumming a guitar, sitting down. You know, like it. He was and he was cooking, and they were not slow. That's my point, right? Him, the drummer of all people. He's the guy keeping the beat going. I love that. Crushing it. I mean, it was fast. It was heavy. They, they did a good amount of slow songs. The slow songs were supposed to be slow songs, you know? Like, So Many Roads and Broke Down. And One question. J-Rad versus Billy and the Kids. For energy, who would you rather see? Uh, for who would I rather see? I don't know. That's a tough question, right? Like, it's a really, it's a really spicy question. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's... Let me ask you this, Jordan. Did Billy and the Kids play the 11? Uh, they did not play the 11. Okay, uh, well, I think J-Rad plays the 11 better than anybody other than the Grateful Dead. So for me, that's kind of a barometer. If you can play the 11 well, you're a good Dead cover band. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say um, they're probably in the same tier. I, I, I'm a bit partial to the, the quintet with Jimmy Herring and Warren Haynes because I think they got weirder than anybody. But, like, it was definitely that... Maybe it was like one half, like a, like a marginal difference slower than, than J-Rad, but I mean, it was the same thing. It's basically like, that's, you know, what I say is the coolest Grateful Dead stuff I've seen in a long time. It's because it basically was like J-Rad, only someone from the actual dead was in there. Um, and like, I mean, I think Metzger's awesome. Um, you know, Manger's, Manger's great. So is, so, you know, I mean, I think across the board, it was basically like that only it was kind of, I mean, it had this specialness to it. Right. Um, I, I, every time I see Jared, I think it's amazing. At, at you know, at the last time I saw them at Red Rocks was one of the most emotional performances. Because it was after Neil Casal passed, and it was just like so heavy. It was like uh, when I saw the Allman Brothers at Lockin after Farmer passed, and you could tell like the people on stage were going through something as they were playing, and it made it beautiful and special. But like something like Billy and the Kids, like it has this like, is this going to happen again? Feel to it. That band hasn't played together in years. Are they gonna like? Are they really gonna start just picking up Billy strings and get to do this again? And Billy's voice, like, is just so choice on some of these things. And having Tommy and Billy going back and forth, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I love J Rad. That's really like one of my favorite things to do these days. Um, but this was kind of that plus this like air of specialness and uniqueness. 
No, I know what you're saying, Jordan. It was really an all-star band because, uh, you know, Billy Strings got his first Grammy before he was 25, and uh, that James fellow with the sax, he's from the Trey Anastasio band. And then um, forget the fellow's name from the Disco Biscuits was on keyboards. Yeah, Manger. And and James was great. The, he sang a Dear Prudence. Yep. Uh, nice. That was really, really choice uh, towards the end. That was great. Um you know, I'm trying like my ability to remember the first night versus the second night is completely different. We were talking about taking kids to shows, and so I have like a really good, clear memory of the first yeah, night. My, micro dosing does that to you. Yeah, and I have a clear memory of uh, the second night after my kid left, right? But like, there's this period where I was at the show with my kid, and I can kind of tell you what they played, and I can kind of tell you what it was like. But I was like fixated on you know my child being safe in a crowd of ten thousand hippies, as opposed to just focusing on the music and so that was my pile uh, that's why i left the kids at home for years but i get it i have i have a lot but he just at this point he's just like no daddy i'm a grown-up i'm going and i want to go see billy and billy strings and you know i mean i i've done seven red rocks shows he's come to two i didn't take him to panic because i felt like that wasn't necessary um but you know he he's gonna go to these he's got a few other ones um and he loves it he he's like a hero your excuse your excuses was raining. You, you can definitely be like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't want to come. It's pouring out. Don't come. Oh, my God, dude. The rain and panic on Friday was like some of the stuff I've never... I mean, that's... I was wetter than when I went swimming the next day in a pool. Like, it was it was, it was, was amazing. And the band was dry. Like, talk about the new roof. The band, uh, I went Friday, Sunday. Mason went all four nights. Talk about a fucking superhero. Because um, they did that Mission Ballroom show. I know a few people that did that. So, so by the way, when you say Mason, I assume you mean Tavert, right? Yeah, yeah, my business partner, Mason Tavert, who uh, uh, I go see a lot of shows with. There's a reason for that, and that's because Mason's a fucking legend. No matter what he does, he, he does it hard and he does yeah. it well. So hats off to Mason Tavert, not just in what music he sees, but in everything else he's done for us. So uh, shout out to Mason Tavert. Yeah, I mean, that was the best part about you doing this stuff, is you go to these... I, I, one of the reasons I love working in the cannabis industry is, like, I go to these shows, and, like, there's Bob Ashido from Incredibles, and I get to give him a hug. And see, he was in the merch line. I think he got a poster, man. Those posters were hard to get that show. Um, you know, he was he was towards the front. Uh, but, you know, we had all different kinds of people from our uh, from our crew and, and people from other businesses in the cannabis industry, and it's just so cool to go out there and uh, see all these people that I work with and then see them at night at shows, and it just gives us, like, a new way to frame the bond of the people that we work together with. And it was, that one was cool, man. That was, it was super fun. Christian was there, uh, Natasha, Brooke. Uh, we've had some folks. Sean Hauser was there. She's super awesome. So we're pretty lucky that we have such a, such a great crew. Oh, and, my, and Mr. Jason, um, there's a deadhead that works at my kid's school uh, who was looking for an extra ticket, and we got him an extra ticket. And so my kid was like super pumped because we're always going to shows with dad's friends and now all of a sudden it's like he was his friend he was like leaning over and talking to him the whole time and uh you know he was like super pumped that mr jason was there so it was a, it was a pretty heroic night hey uh jordan we could obviously go on with you all night as we typically can with most of our guests once we start talking about this kind of stuff uh but we do have to go uh quick question for you um are you a springsteen fan you're a new jersey guy yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the boss. Uh, it took a long time for me to come around. Um, there was no enthusiasm in that answer, Jordan. I, I don't love the boss. I mean, my mom loves the boss big time. I like the boss. I like a lot of boss songs. Um, sometimes I think he's awesome. Sometimes I feel like he's a little more cheesy than, than my taste tend. I feel, like, I feel like being a Jersey boy, I should have more enthusiasm for the boss. But I think um, I, 
I like my music a little weirder. I think. The end what, of the day. what about what about God Street Wine and Spin Doctors and uh, and, and Blues Traveler? Oh man, I know about I know about God. I saw God Street Wine at like '95 in Irving Plaza, one of the first concerts I ever went to. Strange Folk opened, old school region hour shit. Best band from New Jersey that never made it that should have during that era. God Street Wine was pretty sweet. Yeah, we had a great time. We were laughing about it because uh, I saw one of my buddies at a wedding, and they like to laugh about how I forget everything. And that was the concert where I left the tickets in Jersey. And there were no tickets on your cell phone, so my mom had to call the box office and convince them that we weren't scamming them. And uh, they let us in. I don't know why, I don't know how, whatever, you know, fucking shit she said to them on the phone. They're like, you better not be lying. I was terrified. 15-year-old kid being like, please just don't be mad at me when I smoke a joint inside. Uh, I might lie to you, but would my mom lie to you? Yeah, exactly. My mom's not a liar. Did you call my mom a liar? Um, so yeah, yeah, the old school Jersey stuff is great. It's a, there's a pretty good music scene there, um, but it certainly is no, no Denver um, and no Red Rocks. So, so yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This has been so much fun. It was a, a great thing to pretend to be working uh, during and hanging out. Um, this was a blast. That's how we feel every week. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Jordan Wellington, our guest today from uh, Vincente Cedarberg. And uh, Jordan, just really quick, if any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you for any reason or to ask questions or just to talk, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can email me, jordan at vsstrategies.com, jordan at vincentecederberg.com. Uh, listen to the Weed Wonks podcast. It's super fun and nerdy and dorky. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, come out to Denver and go to Red Rocks because that's the mecca. Jordan, let's get together for Phil and Friends. Yeah, yeah, we're going all nights. Robbie's coming uh, the first two Excellent. Nights. Yeah, I'll be at Dylan the Thursday night. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. That one's going to be super cool. The venue's gorgeous. I can't wait. Excellent. Gentlemen. Bye, everybody. Thank you all. Jim, talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Uh, Rob, as always, great show. Thank you very much. Uh, any last words? You always have last words. I always have last words. First of all, thank you to Jordan Wellington. Thank you. Uh, uh, first of all, Vicente Cedarberg, uh, VS Strategies. If you guys aren't familiar out there in, uh, in the audio world, please uh, give them a sh- uh, look. They do terrific work. Um, definitely go see Rosenberg's Bagels in, uh, in Denver, Colorado, and go see Josh Pollock, who also grows some good weed. Uh, and finally, um, I'm an advisory board member of Conscious Alliance. And for all of you out, out there that are not familiar with the work that Conscious Alliance does, uh, through uh, music, they feed lots and lots of people in the United States. So please take a look at their seventh annual Conscious Alliance All Stars, um, which is a dinner that's happening in Cherry Creek on August the twenty second. So if you go to consciousalliance.org, uh, I believe you'll be able to find information about it. But uh, it is an absolutely fantastic organization. I think you know Jim and Jordan are probably very familiar with probably Larry's as well. But, uh, but, but please do uh, check out what they're putting on. Uh, huge silent auction with lots of um, music memorabilia attached to it. Other than that, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Wonderful. Okay, folks, thank you all. Thanks again to our producer, Dan Humiston. Thanks, and have a great week. We'll talk to you next time, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.